0: Welcome to the Consume Church weekly podcast. Thank
1: you for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message, The Olive Tree, Unity in the Body, by special guests Mordecai Wiseman and the Israel First Fruits team. For any further information about this service or the ministries of Consume Church, you can check us out at theconsumechurch.com.
2: My name is Michelle and I have the privilege of serving, uh, as the partner relations director for Israel first fruits. And as Paula mentioned, I am joined here today by Mordecai and Naim, and we're going to be talking about walking in unity. We'll share a little bit later more about first fruits, uh, the organization that we work for. But this morning we really want to share a message with you about walking in unity and we're going to use the olive tree and the olive tree is actually a part of our logo, um, And it's not just a picture. It's not just something that was slapped up there because it looked really good. Uh, It has wonderful meaning and imagery in it. And for those of you who don't know Mordecai and Naim, Mordecai is a third generation Messianic believer from Israel. Naim is an Arab, Christian, Palestinian, Israeli. And then you have me. uh, I am just your regular Gentile from South Dakota. (laughs) So we're here, uh, but we walk in unity. And thats it's not just something we talk about. It's really a core value for our organization. Uh, Actually, it's our second core value, walk together. And what does this really mean? What does this look like? And the olive tree is a wonderful representation of this. So if you're familiar with Romans 11, you see Paul talking to his Gentile audience about the olive tree. And he says to them, you, meaning the Gentiles, you wild olive trees, you wild branches, you were grafted in among them, meaning the cultivated branches, the Jewish people, and became partakers with them of the rich root of the olive tree. So we got grafted in to this wonderful olive tree. And again, this is beautiful imagery that Paul is using as he's talking to the Jews and to the Gentiles being grafted together. So the olive tree is mentioned quite frequently throughout Scripture. Uh, from Genesis, we see the dove coming, you know, uh, with Noah in the ark. He brings the olive branch all the way through Revelation, where the two witnesses are represented by olive trees. Uh, the olive tree is also one of the seven species that's promised to the Israelites when they enter into Canaan. And this is in Deuteronomy 8.8. 8. And Yeshua is called the netzer. That is the branch that springs from the root of the olive tree. It actually is not Nazarene. It's netzer. And it's a specific kind of type of branch that comes right out of the olive tree root. And so this is a kind of a cool image because when we talk about Jesus being the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, he's the root and the branch. It's a beautiful picture. Nothing in scripture is by accident and it's not trivial. No picture, no word, everything has meaning. Everything. And this is very much true of the olive tree. So some insight into this imagery, uh, some very interesting and unique facts just about olive trees, okay? Uh, in the ancient world, it was used for food. We still eat them, right? Olives are food. We eat them. They're great. They're yummy. Uh, we, it's used for wood, make furniture to make different, uh, you know, if you go to Israel today, you see all these little tchotchkes and knickknacks made out of olive wood. Uh, that's, that's always been, the wood is useful. And then, of course, we have the olive oil. And this has multiple uses. In the ancient world, it was used for healing. It was a healing balm on skin. It prevents disease and, and, and as, a, as a, um, an ointment for certain things. Again, it's also used for food. And in the ancient world, it's light. So, you know, back then they didn't have flashlights or, you know, lamps. It's the oil in the lamp that creates the light. Think about the ten virgins, the parable of the ten virgins. To keep their lamps trimmed and burning, it's talking about the wick and the oil. The olive tree is described as a hardy and vigorous evergreen tree. These trees can live for thousands of years. Actually, I think the oldest olive tree is about 5,000 years old, and it's in Greece. You can still see it today. The trunk can grow up to 20 feet in circumference. And it's a very hardwood, and unlike other trees, it doesn't have rings. Some unique facts. One of the most interesting facts is that this tree blooms in the desert, it thrives in arid places. And its resiliency is found in its roots, which extend into these very wide spreading patterns. And this root system is virtually indestructible. As a matter of fact, it's so robust. That it's capable of regenerating itself even when the trunk, the above ground structure of the tree, is completely destroyed. Frost, fire, disease, if that upper part is destroyed, that tree can regenerate itself from the roots. It's a very unique tree. These new shoots appear and they become fruit bearing trees. So it really is a symbol of beauty and abundance. Now, back to, back to Romans 11, we see that the, the ancients uh, clearly delineated between cultivated trees and wild or uncultivated trees. It's very interesting because they have different characteristics. They grow to different heights. They have different shapes. And the fruit is actually a little bit different between a wild tree and a cultivated tree. But what is the same for both trees is that the quality of the fruit uh, is determined by the character of the trunk. It's the richness of the root which enables that tree to bear good fruit. Its source of life or the source of life for the branches comes from the trunk which is grounded by those roots. So whatever the roots provide, the nutrients, all of that, that is, that's what enables the branches to bear the fruit. And so we see this parallel in Scripture where, where God is the root. He determines our character. And a branch will only bear good fruit when it is grafted into or tapped into uh, a very sturdy, solid trunk. So as we transition into talking about the branches, I'm going to invite Naim to come up. And he's going to share with us the process uh, of grafting in. Uh, his family actually owns an olive grove, so he has firsthand experience Uh, with picking olives and making olive oil so he may share some of that with us so welcome Naeem.
0: Thank you Michelle. Good morning everyone. Well Michelle actually recently they found an olive tree near my town and they're checking whether it is actually the oldest tree in the world. We're claiming this uh, (laughs) taking it back from the Greek. Actually, um, my family are in these days are uh, working on picking the olives, and uh, I should have been there helping them when they're waiting for me to go back and uh, keep the work. So the olive branches, as Michelle mentioned, we first see the olive branch in the Bible in Genesis when the dove comes back with the, uh, an olive branch in its beak resembling hope and a new beginning, new life. And in Isaiah, we read that, um, as also Michelle mentioned, a shoot will come from this, uh, the stump of Jesse. From his root, a branch will bear fruit. And the word netzer, this root, uh, um, the word Nazareth comes from netzer, Nazaret. The same root is also used for Nutzrim, which is the Hebrew word for Christians. So Jesus is the first new branch. He is the firstborn, and in Romans we we read, "For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters." So we are all grafted in with Him. And again, Romans eleven. Paul uses this image of the olive tree to illustrate, and the branches to illustrate, the gathering of the nations, coming together. So this is the process that he uses of graft being grafting, grafted, sorry, grafted together from different parts, different sides of the earth, different nations, all coming together. Forming the body of Christ, the united body of Christ. Different branches, different nature, different species, but all grounded and rooted in the same trunk, the same source, our Lord Jesus. So, why is grafting needed? All of us are called to bear fruit, and not only fruit, good fruit and a lot of fruit. The grafting process is meant to create and make stronger fruit, different types, and allow the tree to bear more and more fruit. Jesus teaches in John 15, when he speaks about the vine, the true vines, Jesus says, abide in me, I am the true vine. And when you abide in me, you will be strong and we will bear a lot of fruit. Once the new grafted branch is really strong and hanging on and, and, and really is, a, is one with the vine, the, the same tree, this is when this new branch begins bringing and um, bearing fruit. You know, there are more than 25 species of, of olives. and There are over 250 subspecies. The farmer or the grafter knows which type he would like to see in his land. So when he has a specific kind and he would like to see other kinds, if he has small olives and he would like to have bigger olives, if he has green olives and he would like to have a mix of green and black olives, he has to do grafting. The timing of the grafting is determined by the grafter. He knows when to start this process. The process of grafting is almost like a surgery. There are different ways to do it, but they all involve the same steps. The grafter identifies the species he would like to bring into his land into uh, to add to his uh, trees. He identifies that tree, basically cuts it, cuts made almost most of the branches in it, keeps the branch he would like to keep, and then prepare that trunk for bringing in a new branch. Then he goes to the other tree that he would like to bring into his land, identify those shoots or netsers, small branches and what he does, he cuts them and prepares, prepared, sorry, prepares them to be grafted into the original tree. Now he cuts the bark in the original tree, surgery. Very, very precise and he grafts in the new branch. He puts around it kind of a bandage to make sure it's holding. Then you add, um, you add some paint so that the uh, um, sap doesn't dry or uh, just run away and keeps dropping. You have to make sure that the bandage is in place for a long time. Sometimes this process takes years until the branch is completely, completely uh, um, hanging on and holding to the new tree. And in order to make sure that this new branch is receiving the nourishment it it needs, the shoots that are coming from the old tree are pruned and cut to make sure that the new branch is receiving what it should be receiving and to make sure it is strong. So those new branches that were on a different tree, were different, were strangers, are now one with the new tree and as the bible says also in roman once contrary to god and wild by nature were made holy and worthy by god's grace and now god was able to graft us in to partake in the blessings of christ now the old and new and the new branches are all receiving the nourishment and the life from the same root which is christ our lord So for the process to succeed, both the new branch and the trunk have to accept each other, have to live in harmony, have to uh, receive each other and really make sure that uh, we're one now. So I don't reject you because you're from a different tree. After a while, these branches, we, become an integral part of the tree united in our joint identity and kingdom, but still possesses unique characteristics and uh, um, different tastes, different flavors, different gifts, different abilities. Yet we are all now one in this one tree. Different branches, but one tree. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is in Galatians. Our original uniqueness is kept. This new tree, the olive tree, could hold, now you would see a branch is bearing one kind, one species, another branch is bearing another species of olives, yet all are on the one tree. All of them are fruit. All of them give us oil. Different, but with the same fruit. When we all live and we are taking from the very essence of our Lord, our God, this is when we start producing life and fruit that will be a blessing to those around us. I'm going to invite Mordechai to share about the fruit a little bit more.
1: So the land of Israel is the land of fruits and nuts, and we're a good representation of that. Um, Before I dive into the fruit, good morning, shalom. Shalom means wholeness, completeness, being made um, one with God. And so the peace, the wholeness, and the health and unity of God be upon you. Uh, I was this morning when Pastor uh, John mentioned Psalm one twenty two. He did not know that one of the founding verses of First Fruits is verse one twenty two nine. I'll just read it again. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good or your prosperity. The word "tov" is goodness. It's it describes God. It's not just prosperity. It's it's not just being good, but it's. The fullness of the fruit and the the everything that flows from God, and so it's for the sake of God's kingdom, His house, that I, we seek good for one another. It's powerful. Um, Michelle mentioned actually Deuteronomy eight. Um, there's there's the list of the seven types of fruit in the Holy Land, and, and the olive is one of those. There's another verse that, that later on that is quite well known, but not always well um, interpreted, uh, and it relates to first fruits. And I'm going to get to the fruit in a moment. Uh, but for those of you, you probably have seen this, uh, you know, written on people's desks. You know, um, a lot of business people like it to remind themselves. And it says. In verse 18 of Deuteronomy 8, but you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you the power or the might to make wealth that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers, as it is this day. Um, the word for wealth, as was translated, in this is the NASB I just read, in Hebrew is actually chayil. Chayil um, is the same root in Hebrew that we use to describe a soldier, Also, a woman of great worth is eshet chayil. The idea is that this is a person who produces great things. It's a person who leans into God that is fruitful, that is mighty in the sense of being all that God has called them to be. That is, we would say, and there's another word for success in Hebrew, hatzlacha. It's not a past tense thing. It's a pressing forward thing. It's a continuous thing. And so it is God's might within us that allows us to be fruitful, to be abundant, to be mighty for his kingdom. And that is why he prunes us and connects us with others because there's a richness when uh, there is mighty people being blended together. However, that process is not so easy, and the funny thing is, there is a gospel that is sometimes preached, which is come to Jesus, and he will solve all your problems, and make your life amazing, and it's going to be like hitting the lottery, and woo-hoo, right, and God is sort of the God of the candy store. If you know the combination and the key, then you get all the goodies, right, and you know, it's this great marketing campaign for the sake of God, and it's not true. God is good, and his will is amazing, but the process ain't always easy. In fact, we as human beings seem to uh, need a certain kind of process to produce all of the richness that God intends, and this brings us back to the fruit of the olive tree. So, as Naim and Michelle shared, there is an intentional process of taking a tree that was Created according to its kind and has all these different flavors of kinds. And then there is a process by which these kinds are grafted into each other and you have one tree with many sub-kinds in it mixed together. And it is the process of an intentional design and patient labor over time. And what you have is this amazing tree with compound fruits. You can have on the same tree multiple subtypes. Well, why is that? Well, some of the most amazing flavors come when you blend different kind of complementary things. Also, some trees are more resilient to disease. Others produce bigger fruit. Others produce spicy fruit. Others produce sweet fruit. Some are better for oil. Some are better for eating. So you can, on the same tree, create quite the blend and also get additional benefits. It's not just the fruit. It's the resilience. It's the strength. It's the ability to withstand uh, drought, uh, et cetera, et cetera, So as we look at the fruit of the olive tree, it is an amazingly nutritious product. It's filled with vitamins, antioxidants, it has anti-cancer properties, and anti-aging benefits. In the ancient time, the olive uh, oil uh, not only was used for eating as a healthy food, but it was also an important ingredient in various beauty and health products. It was used for light. In fact, it was their daily... Um, moisturizer. You have to understand, in the ancient Near East, actually the whole Mediterranean basin, the temperature during most of the day, for most of the year, is hot. And it's dry. And these are not people that get, they don't have running water in their house. In fact, water is kind of precious, and you keep it for drinking and You know, um, and for your plants, and so showers is not the thing you do all the time, but you do need a shower. How do you protect your skin from the elements, from the dust, from the heat? Well, after you showered, you cover yourself with olive oil, and that creates a protective barrier that mixes in with all the other stuff that is living on your skin, and this is how people actually were able to maintain very healthy skin despite the fact that they're in harsh conditions. And so you see that it's not just for internal benefit, but also for external benefit and for light and all the other things we mentioned. No wonder that the ancients valued the olive tree so much. Um, And yet, even this amazingly fruitful and nutritious fruit, you're like, there it is, it's ripe, it's right on the tree. How many of you have eaten an olive straight off the tree? or have attempted to do so. Ah, there are a few uh, brave souls. Did you enjoy that process? And for those who are not seeing the the, the, the folks in the back, that was not a fun uh, experience, right? Because it has an enzyme in it. The, the, uh, the fresh fruit off the tree has an enzyme in it that will make you sick. This is the fullness of fruitfulness. This is the might of the tree It is ripe and ready to be picked, but not to be consumed. So how do you get the life, the benefit, all this amazing goodness from these ripe olives? They have to go through a process which blesses us, but they don't particularly enjoy. There's two ways to treat olives in order to them be useful. One is to cure them. That means to wash them with lots of water, uh, smash them a little bit, and then put them in salt water brine and spices and garlic and all kinds of other amazing things for several months. And then they basically ferment. And then they're delicious. The other way is you take a whole bunch of them, you put them in sort of this weaved basket, and you crush them. Actually, you crush them before. You put them in the in this uh, stone basin with a big, big uh, st- uh, wheel of stone, and then you run the stone over them, crushing these olives. Then you scoop up all those crushed olives. They're like, "Oh, I'm crushed!" And you stick them inside this weaved basket, and then you you know you squeeze, and then amazing oil comes forth. In fact, um, you see Jesus in Gethshmane, Gethsemane. Gethsemane—it's the oil press. That's literally what Geth—Gethsemane means. Geth is press, or the—the, the, um, yeah, it's the press, and Shmane or Shemen is the oil. So Gethsemane, the oil press. It's a garden where there's all these trees, but where the trees were, were also these areas where they would—they um, would have like the olive press there as well. Jesus goes and prays three times. Notice he, 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 he goes off. He tells his disciples, I'm going to go. He prays. He comes back. They're sleeping. He goes and prays. He comes back, kicks them a little bit, goes back and prays three times. In fact, the, it's traditional to squeeze the oil three times. So when you stack them up with uh, the baskets, they squeeze once, that first squeezing is the very, very pure oil, the early, the extra, extra cold-pressed virgin oil, and then the second is the second pressing, that's just the cold press. and then there's an, another one. And each one of those pressings, they, they keep it separately because the very, very first pressing uh, has the least amount of particulate, you use it for like... A, uh, the temple and and you know for food, and then the second one is used for you know other types of things, and the third one's used for like lamps, so you, each kind you use a little differently, but anyway, that's the process by which olives us become useful, and Jesus is squeezed as well. He was perfect, and yet it pleased the Father to crush the Son for our sake It doesn't fit our view of nice. Certainly not easy, and yet there's something about who God made us to be that Jesus participated in that required a crushing. By the way, anointing oil, it's not just the olives that get crushed, but to get those herbs and the the incense that inside, well, herbs, they don't produce those flavors. You have to pick them and crush them and squeeze them and then they get immersed in the oil and that's when all the amazing fragrances are absorbed into the oil so how is that reflected in our lives hmm it might be a little obvious at this point right so we grow together we are rooted and we're flourishing in God God grafts into our lives other people and we are grafted into a community we are we are Drawing nutrient and might from God, and that is the ability to produce uh, amazing fruit. And we're called to bear good fruit, which He brings forth. And then there are those seasons, and you know what I'm talking about those those seasons that God sovereignly leads us through, that are processes of being cured, crushed sometimes feeling like we were forgotten on a shelf with a bunch of other crazy people inside a jar with, you know, garlic, and we're just fermenting together, right? Or we're all thrown into this jar, uh, into this big stone jar, and we just are crushed by circumstances and squeezed, right? And that's not so easy, and yet God is producing in us light, life, and nutritious healing for everyone around us. Cause it's not just about us. It's a, or me. It's about us. It's about his purposes. It's about his kingdom. And I am not just here to have a nice, easy life. I'm here to grow in God and advance his kingdom and be in community with him directly and with him in you, right? We're blended together. And it's his essence that is in us. So when we face trials, when things are not easy, they're not fun, we have two choices. We can get angry and bitter at God. Or we can allow him to take us to the next level. And so I want to encourage you not to be discouraged when you face trials, when you face hardship, when God does things that are hard to understand, you're not being punished. God is using circumstances to complete a process in your life. And don't feel like you're all alone. In the West, we have a tendency to be the shiny, happy Christians, you know, like we get the nice paint jobs, you know. We cover everything with a nice glossy thing. Oh, praise the Lord. I'm all good. Right? Well, most of us are not all good. And we are not alone. So, if I am suffering, there's a fair chance that there's others around me who are also in a process of crushing or curing or something. And so, we are brothers and sisters. And we're going through a similar process. And maybe I'm going through a season of resting, but my brother or sister is going through a season of crushing and vice versa. And so that's where we are a community that can support one another. God is forging and mixing us together into a a rich mix of life, healing, and light that surpasses anything that we as individuals can do. So when you feel the heat, when you feel the pressure, when there are uncomfortable circumstances uh, in your life and the heat's rising, take hope and take the hands of those around you. He is enhancing us for his glory. He's forging us into one people. There are many believers, but one body. There are many callings, but one purpose. There are many sons and daughters, but one father. There are many branches, but one tree. So how does that look uh, for us in Israel? What does this very practically mean for us? And how does it maybe look for y'all, right? And after all, though Israel and America are quite different, we're still all humans, and the same things we deal with in Israel are happening here in the U.S. So, Naeem, maybe you can come up and share a little bit of your family trajectory, and then I'll kind of add in my family background, and maybe there'll be some obvious lessons for North America.
0: Well, um, unity is an easy word, tough to uh, to live. Um, when God told the Israelites, and we read in Deuteronomy, hero Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. It's the word echad. Echad means one. Three, in one. And when Jesus prayed uh, in John 17 about unity, this is the same kind of unity being one, okay? Uh, In our context, um, we hear Israel, we think we have, each one has a different idea. Many of us would think, oh Israel, that's the homeland of the Jewish people. It's uh, so so many different ideas. in Israel, there's a group of people about twenty one percent of the population are arab Palestinians who have been there in the land before the establishment of the state of Israel. actually, some of them uh their roots go back to first century even my family is um, are arab Christians they have been in the land for centuries. I am a fourth generation evangelical um So before 1948, um, my mother's side of the family were living in uh, the town of Nablus, Shem, that is in the West Bank. Um, My great-grandfather, who was a goldsmith, uh, became a born-again believer and moved with his family to a town in the Jordan Valley called Bisan, or Bechan, uh, where he was one of the deacons of the Anglican Church there. Serving the Lord and at the same time working as a goldsmith. In 48, uh, when the uh, um, Independence War started, uh, Israeli army came into Bishan, Be- Be- Sh- Be- Be- and took all the Arab citizens out of their homes into brought them into the main square, city or town center. And basically told all the Muslims, "Here are the trucks. You're going to Jordan to King Abdullah," and all the Christians, "You're going to Nazareth." So all of a sudden, my grandfather's great grandfather's family became refugees. They lost everything. They were not allowed to take anything of their belongings. No food. No clothing. No tools for their work and They moved to Nazareth and had to restart from scratch. Now, this is definitely a very bad and difficult incident, difficult experience. It did create bitterness and pain and and sorrow in my family. But my great-grandfather, who was a believer, made a decision, made a choice, to teach his children that God is in control, God is love, and no matter what happens, there are no mistakes and we should forgive. Now, was it an easy thing to implement? No. Did all his children embrace this? No. Did this, for those who chose to really forgive and bless, it turned into a blessing in their on their lives? Does this mean that they... Receive justice, no, but still they have to make they had to make a choice. Do we forgive or we remain living in bitterness? So I praise the Lord that my mother and some and her father were one of those who embraced this, so this has turned into a blessing on my family later on. My mom met my dad, got married in 1973, and a little bit afterwards, my dad received a piece of land from his father to build his house. It's traditionally, uh, it's a tradition among the Arab uh, community. Now, they are facing a situation similar to what they faced in 1948, but now the person who's claiming the land is my uncle, He claimed this land that was given to my father and he said, well, uh, it belongs to me. I don't want you to build your house here. Again, my mom and dad faced the situation where we have a choice to make, fight or ask the Lord what to do. My mom was already a believer, went down on her knees, prayed and basically felt the Lord is telling her, release, let go of this land. And my mom made a promise, Lord, if you give us a new home, we will dedicate this home to you. So she told my father, and my father was not happy with this decision. In the Arabic tradition, your land is your honor, your dignity. You don't give up your land. Especially in our country where we, just several years ago, people lost their land. Now we hang on to our land. We hold and we don't let go. But God is great. He has uh, a great plan and still gives mom, my mom a grace to uh, um, really lead this. And, and my dad goes along, doesn't really agree with, with this, but he's going along. A along. few years later, God is faithful. He provides another, la- another piece of land for our family, and we were able to build a new home. Now, we dedicated this house to the Lord. My mom told my dad, I dedicated the house to the Lord. I want to do something. He said, you promised, you deal with it. So, my mom is thinking, so how do we, um, you know, serve the Lord in this new home? So, she hears that there's a group that does child evangelism. And she invites them in, in to start a good news club in our house. One of the leaders of this ministry was my mom's aunt, who also was there when they had to evacuate and leave Bisan. But she also was one of those who embraced this attitude, this approach of forgiveness. Um, and she and her husband were already part of um, a movement or a gathering of Arab and Jewish believers coming together in the Galilee to pray. So the Good News Clubs in our house, and that's where I was born again uh, at the age of 10, through those uh, clubs. Through those clubs, my parents starting getting to know the kids, their families. So this new beginning turned into a bigger ministry to reach out to the families and to the um, families of those children. And we started noticing that some of those families are broken. There are drug addicts among the parents. So the Lord started developing this ministry more and more. And through also these good news clubs, God touched my father's heart and he was born again. Since the beginnings of... This ministry, because of the connection with my aunt, who also uh, um, learned, was already living this life of fellowship and being with our Messianic Jewish brothers, since the beginnings of the ministry at our house, there were uh, Messianic Jewish leaders who are involved in encouraging and praying into my parents' life, uh, lives and, and supporting them to launch the ministry. So I grew up in a home that is, has, has a calling to be a bridge builder between the Arab and Jewish believers in our land. We see the body as one body. Yes, Arabs and Jews, but we are one in Christ, called to walk in unity together. Is it an easy thing? No. We every day suffer from discrimination, but we have a choice to make. And I praise God that we, he called us to walk in this path. And, uh, um, you know, in order to, to do this, there's a price we have to pay. As an Arab who follows the Lord... It's, it's not, a, a, you know, a, like an easy thing to do because traditionally we are Arab Christians. We are the ones that were there in the land when the land had no witnesses about Christianity, about Jesus. So why now we, Roman Catholics, Greek Orthodox, why follow this new cult, this new religion that was brought to us from the West who are evangelicals, who are Baptists or brethren, who support the state of Israel. So, like, now you are traitors. So, again, every day we have a choice to make. Do we embrace our identity in the flesh first and put it in a higher place than our identity in Christ? God does not erase our identity he doesn't he didn't make any mistake of creating me or making me an arab palestinian christian and israeli citizen no mistakes there he has a role he has a calling for me using all of these different things he didn't make any mistakes by having mordechai a messianic jew coming back to the land with his family and soon he will share more and he, god has It's not a mistake that Arabs and Jews, Palestinians and Jews are living in the same land. We as believers have a calling. We are the light to that land. We have a calling to walk together, walk in unity. So to me, the natural choice would be, because I suffered from discrimination during my years in university. Looking for a job, I got rejected mainly because I am not Jewish. So I have a choice to make. Again, do I just, you know, reject my Jewish brothers because they rejected me or because the state of Israel and the Jewish people are not accepting me or they're not giving me granting me the equality that I'm supposed to get? Praise the Lord. I mean, there's a there's a price to pay, but it's a choice and the olives that are crushed produce good oil. So sometimes the, the price is going to pay out in the end. Not sometimes, always. So I'm going to invite Mordechai to share his story. And I didn't share how we started working together. Well, now that you're here, I'll say that it's a blessing that the Lord... Yeah, squeezing. That the Lord, through the journey I went through, led me... In this path to join Israel First Fruits, that is called to reach out to all the believers in the marketplace to bless our land, both Arab and Jewish believers. And since that's the calling on my family and on my life, I felt that that was the most natural place for me to be.
1: Thank you, Na'im. So briefly, because I know that uh, everyone is eager to go eat or something. No, um, so a little bit about my family. So I'm a third-generation Messianic Jewish believer. Uh, our family started leaving Europe in the 1930s after 1,900 years of exile, and um, and then since the 50s, uh, following the Lord in the land. And don't have time today to share all of the story. But um, when my mom was a believer in the, as a child uh, in the land in the 1950s, there were 250 believers in the entire land. And it was Jews and Arabs together. And In fact, Naeem's mother's aunt was one of the ladies that my mom looked up to. And she, to this day, remembers prayers in Arabic because there's just not that many of us. And it was, a, it was you know, basically, <laughs> we're the lunatic fringe, so, you know, crazy people stick together, right? So, um, you know, that, for us as Jews, and Naim kind of described a little bit of what, what an Arab Christian might experience if they become born again, and clearly Muslims coming to faith, that's a pretty pretty difficult process. But for Messianic Jews, you know, it's also a, a form of betrayal. And so our family lost our, fa- our, our extended fa- You know, we, we had very li- few relatives left after the war in Israel. Uh, But those few rejected us because of faith in Messiah. So there was a price to pay there as well. But I do want to say something that relates to the unity of Jews and Arabs is the day that my family that fled Europe with nothing had lost everything in the Holocaust, including most of the family. In 1948, we received our state back. We received an inheritance that we had lost 2,000 years before. It was on that very... Occasion that Naeem's family lost their inheritance. Is that fair? No, it's not fair. It's actually not just not fair. It's not just. And yet God's purposes are at work. And I think that's something that we need to really come to terms with in how God works. Because God chooses to not only give us freedom of choice, but also authority over this domain. And he has limited himself to work through us. So God is perfect, and his will is perfect and good. And he chooses in his will to work through humans who are flawed. And even at our highest and our most devoted state and with our greatest excellence and purity of heart, our best acts of service unto God are still flawed. And God will perfect and make complete every work done in faith and good intention, and yet we are flawed. And so when the state of Israel was established, I believe it was a fulfillment of ancient prophecy. I believe that it is part of God's eternal plan to expand and establish his kingdom upon earth and I don't know exactly how they'll play out and don't think that the state of Israel is the kingdom of God I served in the Israeli army and it's not God's army it's a decent army but it ain't God's army okay let's not get things confused and I think sometimes as believers we tend to where we're the good guys God is with us and therefore everything we do is not only good but justified and it ain't so it ain't so Now, that doesn't mean that we're like, oh, I can't vote for this guy because, you know, they don't reflect God. I can't vote for these people. I mean, in the end, we have to make choices every day to do the right thing, to take the next step forward. But I have a little secret for you. Bibi Netanyahu is not Jesus's younger brother, okay? And so if you want to support Israel, it doesn't mean that Bibi Netanyahu is the only choice. In fact, he isn't. And similarly in America... There are certain parties and certain groups that have been associated with God, okay? And you can or cannot vote for them. That's a decision you need to make, but they're not going to be perfect. Those people are going to take actions that are wrong, that will hurt people. And so it's not a question about choosing the right perfect side and then defending that, you know, with all our power, but recognizing that God is at work and that our job is to align ourselves with him and make the best choices we can every day, that, would, that we can live at peace with. But it's not going to be perfect. Okay, And I've seen more and more that we, not only in, in the West, but in Israel, we surround ourselves with people who think like ourselves because we love to be right. We love to hear that we are on the right side and that we know all the right things, and it's everyone else that is a little off or crazy or destroying or whatever. And we have to have a little bit of humility because that's the same mistake that the Jews did with Jesus. He didn't fit their box. They wanted a Messiah that will get rid of the corrupt religious authorities and the horrible Romans and all the bad people and put us back where we belong because we're the good guys. And he first said, I'm sorry, my kingdom must be birthed within you. The harder work is in the heart. You must become changed the kingdom must come to life in you and then through you i will change what needs to be changed and so as the believer as a believer that has to make every day a choice as a citizen it is not only my right but my privilege to vote it is my way of expressing what i believe god uh, has put in my hands which is influence but i have to do it with wisdom and humility And it's not so much about whether I vote for this person or that person, but how I carry myself, how I communicate, how I dialogue with people. Because we're not going to win. God doesn't win when this party, that party, this president or that president is in charge. God wins when we submit ourselves to him. God wins when we listen to our neighbor and we show love. God wins when we are salt and light. God wins when we are crushed and in the comfort with which we were comforted, we comfort others. Okay, That may not be a fun message to hear, but let me tell you something. The kingdom of God is not going to be established when all the Jews believe in God. The kingdom of God is going to be established when the Jewish and Arab believers walk together in unity, and they're a sign of the kingdom. And then all the children of Abraham enter into the kingdom together, Isaac and Jacob with Ishmael and Edom. Because God is redeeming all things, not just some things, okay? So, didn't mean to get all preachy there. But, but that's the challenge we have. That's the challenge we have. And so, hopefully, some of the lessons that we have in Israel, that there's only one bride, and we're all called to be a part of it, uh, will apply to your decisions, and we're all going to, um, to vote in the next few days, whether here or there. So think about that and ask for the Lord to give you wisdom, not only on who to vote for, but how to carry yourself with all the folks that don't agree with you, how to show them love, how to embrace the ones who are different, because it is our act of love that will bring change, not so-and-so sitting in the White House or in the Israeli parliament. So I'll stop there because I've probably gone way off track, but the Lord bless you and give you wisdom.
2: I didn't plan to come back up, but just as Morty was sharing, and I think saying this as someone who's from the States, you know, and going to a lot of churches, and we talk about Israel and we talk about the Jews and the Arabs, we tend to have these bifurcated points of view, right? It's either pro one or pro the other. At the beginning, you you quoted Psalm 122, and we talk about praying for the peace of Jerusalem, praying for her prosperity. So as we leave this place and we consider what we pray for, we seek the prosperity of all of the nations. We seek for the Lord Yeshua to re- reveal himself to all peoples because just as, as Mordecai was sharing, it's when Isaac and Ishmael are reconciled. And that's the testimony to the world of, of brothers coming back to the table together. It's, it's a welcoming, an invitation back to the table. So as you read Psalm 122, I would encourage you to think about that maybe in a little different way as we seek the prosperity of Jerusalem, we seek the prosperity of Israel, that it's, it's two brothers. And then we, as the, the, those who are not in Israel, reap the reward of that. Uh, because in, in Romans, it talks about if the Jewish rejection of Messiah meant salvation for the world, how much will their acceptance of him be? And that's what we have to look forward to. So thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to the Consume Church weekly podcast. This entire service and others can be viewed on our Facebook and YouTube channels. If you would like to partner with us in raising the next generation of kingdom bringers, you can do so at theconsumechurch.com slash give.